This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Notice there's an order of scripture down in the bottom left, as well as over on the right side. And so those scriptures that are lighter in nature are not scriptures with a text typed out, so there is no text for those. Inside you'll find more information on the back of the front and you'll find scriptures there inside as well as on the back side and so they're typed out for you. I hope that will be helpful to you. The opening scriptures on the front underneath the title, John 3.16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is probably one of the most popular, if need be not, uh, most popular scriptures in all the Bible. Watch a, watch a football game sometimes and you'll see somebody sitting in an end zone and they're holding up John 3.16. It's just a verse that most people have memorized. They know it by heart. But it's a misunderstood verse by a lot of people. Some people really look at the verse and think that it means whosoever believeth in Christ cannot perish, and that's not what the Lord said. He never said could not perish, He said should not perish. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But we have preachers today that tell folks if you'll just believe in Christ, you'll have everlasting life, and they'll quote John 3.16 and simply tell them that that's guaranteed, and if you're a believer, you have that everlasting life. And yet the Bible tells us that a believer, a child of God, can actually not only believe in the Lord, but perish. And we have that taught in abundance in the Scriptures. Let me give you one good example on the inside there. It's your Scripture. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 5, if you'll read with me. The Bible says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now notice that Philip's gone to Samaria. He's preached Christ and he's worked miracles. There happens to be in that city a sorcerer. He is a con artist. He has been uh, deceiving the people, bewitching, as the Bible calls it, bewitching the people of Samaria, giving out that he's some great person. And the people look at him and they say, This man is the great power of God. And so he has just deceived them into thinking he has all of this, this power, this miraculous ability, when actually he has none. He's just been taking their money. 
and he's just a con artist and a deceiver. But Philip comes there and he does real miracles and this old sorcerer even sees that. His name is Simon. Did you notice in verse 12 we're told that of the men and women there in Samaria when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized both men and women. So these folks believed and were baptized. Look at verse 13. Simon himself believed also. And I want to call attention to that. That means he believed just like they did. And if he was not saved, neither were they. Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So the Samaritans are saved. Even the sorcerer's been converted now, and he's a believer. And then uh, the church at Jerusalem hears that Samaria has received the word of God. So they sent Peter and John down, two apostles. Because the apostles could do one thing nobody else could do, if not other things as well. They could lay hands on a person and impart miraculous gifts, and nobody else could do that. And so they sent Peter and John down to Samaria to impart miraculous gifts to these Samaritans. Philip would be moving on. It would be an infant church. They would need miraculous gifts to receive revelation of God's Word and continue teaching the congregation because there was no written New Testament at this time. So Peter and John go down and they pray for these Samaritans that they might receive the Spirit in a miraculous form, of course, because they already had the Holy Spirit as Christians. And so God granted their prayer and they laid hands on the Samaritans. The Bible, look, if you will, look at verse 18. says that when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. So he tries to buy that power. You see, he's been a carn artist. And now he knows if I can just get this power, I can really make some money. And he offered Peter and John money for the, for the power to do that, which, of course, they couldn't sell. It was a right conferred on them by the Lord. They had no power over it. And uh, notice what Peter tells this man in verse 20. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Let me stop right there. I thought this man was a believer. He is. Verse 13. Simon himself believed also. And yet here's Peter telling the man, You're going to perish. Here is a believer, friends, that's going to perish. See that? Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Here is a believer that the Bible says will perish. And so that, that gives a different meaning, you see, to John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. But it didn't say could not perish. There's the difference. And that's what people are saying today. So the Bible abundantly teaches that believers can perish and 
I could cite, for example, 1 Corinthians 8 around verse 13 where Paul warns the church there at Corinth they're going into idol temples and they're eating things that have been sacrificed to idols and Paul warns them you're going to cause somebody to stumble. You're going to cause somebody to eat and they're going to lose their soul. And he warns them that the uh, that uh, those will perish, some of their brothers will perish, the weaker brother will perish, for whom Christ died. So here's a weak brother that'll perish. The Bible just abounds with that concept. So I want to talk to you this morning about believers who will be cast into hell. There will be, there will be lots of people in hell that are believers. They will be, be believers in Christ, believers in God, and yet they will wind up in this place because that's what the Bible teaches. And I want to provide some evidence of that for us and study that with you. Now, God has uh, so designed us that we're not going to believe in Christ without evidence. That's how He's made us. And God who made us then to need evidence to obtain faith or belief supplied that evidence for us. In the Bible... Evidence is just piled mountain high, sufficient to condemn anyone that will honestly look at it, that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God. All we've got to do is look at the evidence. So I want you to assume this morning that you're a jury in a courtroom. And I'm going to be an attorney and I'm going to bring some evidence to you about Jesus because no one can believe in Christ without some evidence of who He is. So I'm going to give you some evidence that I want you to weigh this morning because after all faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. First thing I would probably do as an attorney would be bring in some witnesses for you. Give you some testimony then maybe some other evidence and that's what I'll do this morning. So let's just look at some witnesses. First God the Father and if you're reading there with me look at Matthew 3 verse 16 and 17. Let's see what God the Father said about Christ. The Bible says that Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Lo, the heavens were opened unto Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So God there makes that statement. Here's the testimony of God the Father then. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That's a pretty good witness, isn't it? When you've got God testifying to who Jesus is, that's a great witness. Jesus Himself gave testimony. Look at Mark 14 with me. And let's notice verse 60 to 62. Here He's before the high priest, if you can call this a trial. The Bible says the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Him, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. When he was asked, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. There's the testimony then of Jesus Christ. But then in Luke 2 verse 8 to 11 let's, let's notice the testimony of angels. The Bible says there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shined round, round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Here are angels then testifying that Jesus is Christ the Lord. Then you have the testimony of righteous men. Righteous men throughout the Bible have testified about Jesus. Peter's one of those righteous men. John 6 and verse 66 to 69. Now in the context here, the Lord's been saying some difficult things. He's been talking about how He's the bread that's come down from heaven. That unless someone eats his flesh and drinks his blood, they have no life in them. And that became a hard saying, things like that to people. So much so that his disciples began to walk away. And that broke the heart of Christ as he looked at the multitudes that had been following him as he was teaching them, and all of a sudden, many of them are walking away from him. No longer his disciples. And in John 6 and verse 66, and then we'll read through 69. The Bible says that from that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now there's the confession of a righteous man, Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we've looked at the testimony of God the Father, of Christ Himself, of angels, of righteous men, and now how about wicked men? Wicked men have testified about Christ. In Matthew 27 and verse 54, the Bible says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. There is the fellow that put Jesus to death. The very centurion there that gave the commandment to drive the nails, to hang Jesus on the cross that day. And yet when he, when he witnesses everything that goes on, he says, truly, this was the Son of God here. We've killed the Son of God. That's pretty good testimony for a man guilty of killing Christ to come clean and make that statement about Jesus. Finally, let's look at the testimony of devils. You know, throughout the New Testament, devils have, have confessed Christ in many, many places. Notice what they say in this, this passage, Mark, excuse me, Luke 4, verse 40, 41. The Bible says, Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. So here's these devils being cast out, and as they come out, they cry out, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. Jesus didn't want devils confessing him. But you see, these devils really just couldn't help it. They knew who He was. They knew quite well who He was. They were afraid of Him. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. And here's an example of it. 
And Jesus rebuked them and told them to hold their peace. Now I've brought six witnesses before us this morning. God the Father, Christ Himself, angels, righteous men, wicked men, and devils, all testifying to the same thing, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's quite a parade of witnesses, isn't it? But there's other evidence about Christ in the Bible as to who He is. And I would have you look at that. For example, His teaching. Wouldn't you have loved to heard Christ preach? I would have loved to have sat and listened to Jesus teach. Nobody would have taught like this man. Nobody would have spoken with such authority as he did. It would have been with power. And yet you could have looked at his eyes and, and listened to his voice and there would have been mercy and compassion there because people saw that side of Jesus too. They saw the love. They saw that he cared. But they understood his great authority. And on one occasion his enemies sent some soldiers actually to arrest him. They wanted him brought back to them, kind of secretly maybe, but they sent the soldiers out. In Luke 7, let's, or, uh, let's notice now verse uh, 32, or John 7, John 7, 32, then verse 45, 46. The Bible says the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. Now a few verses later in verse 45 we read about these men coming back off that task. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees. And they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. They couldn't even arrest Christ. They'd never heard anybody speak like this man did. So enthralled, so engrossed in the message. So... Uh, so just overwhelmed by what they were hearing from this man. Nobody was ever like him. In fact, when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, when he got through preaching that, look with me at Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. The Bible says it came to pass when he had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There was a different, a different way that Jesus taught than the religious teachers of that day with all their hypocrisy, with all their self-righteousness and pretension. Jesus' words had a ring of authority about them. You see, he didn't have to appeal to anybody else. Christ could say, you've heard this, but I say unto you. And he would just speak with authority when he did. And they'd never heard anybody do that. You've heard this, but I say. And then he would give his teaching. And there was a reason why he could speak with authority. If you'll look at John 12, 48 and 49. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him, the word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself. But the Father which sent me, He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Jesus said, everything I'm telling you, the Father told me to do. He's the one that gave me these things. So Jesus could stand up in front of multitudes of thousands and speak with authority because His message came directly from His Father. 
The Father that sent me gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And so the Lord just spoke with authority. Direct messages from His Father, see. And people saw the difference in His teaching. And then if we look at further evidence about Christ, we've looked at these witnesses that testified about Him and now the uh, authority by which He spoke. Look at His great miracles. In John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto Him, Rabbi, we know that Thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that Thou doest except God be with him. And Nicodemus had that much common sense. He, he knew that God would not give such power to an imposter. That no one could work miracles like this unless God was with him. God does not empower false teachers and imposters. He never has. But He empowers His men, His men who speak. And the fact that Jesus did all these wonderful miracles of opening the eyes of them that were born blind and walking on water and taking food and multiplying it and feeding thousands, cleansing lepers, healing all kinds of disease, casting out devils, raising the dead. As Nicodemus weighed all of these things that he'd been seeing, whatever they were, he knew that God had to be with this man. He was exactly right. In John's Gospel, he records several of the miracles of Christ, roughly around seven of them, seven great miracles in, in John's Gospel. And in John 20, verse 30, 31, when John penned these, he said uh, many other Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book, that is, in the Gospel of John. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. The miracles of Christ then were designed to produce faith in Him. John said, I wrote these so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and then believing, have life through His name. If you'll flip over to the back side of the chart that we have here. I've listed some of the miracles of Christ back here. We're not going to read all of these, obviously. But I want you to just notice some of the great miracles here. Incredible. Now John gives his signs over here on the right. You'll see the Gospel of John there. There's the seven signs that he records. And uh, he said many other signs that Christ did that are not written in this book. But here's what John did write. Where Christ turned water into wine, where he healed a nobleman's son, healed a man uh, who couldn't walk. He multiplied barley, five barley loaves, two small fishes, fed 5,000. Walked across the Sea of Galilee. Healed a man who was born blind, raised Lazarus from the dead. There are seven great signs that John recorded. But he said there's many other signs that Jesus did that aren't written in this book. Now look down below here and you'll see these signs. And I've recorded where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and of course John didn't record any of them. He just did the seven up above. But where Matthew, Mark, and Luke each recorded that sign, I have put the reference for you. Let's just read the miracle. We'll not bother with the references. 
Christ healed a man covered with leprosy. Healed the servant of a Roman centurion. He healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He calmed the winds and the waves. He cast out devils into a herd of swine. He healed a paralyzed man who was let down through the roof of a house. He healed a woman with an issue of blood. He uh, healed a man who had a withered hand. He healed a, a blind and mute demonic man. Cast the devil out from the daughter of a Syrophoenician woman. Fed a multitude of 4,000. Cast a devil out of a boy. Sent Peter to get tax money from the mouth of a fish. How about that this month? Wouldn't that be nice? Go down to the lake there and get you a fish and pay your taxes. Not bad, huh? Healed two men at Jericho, including blind Bartimaeus. Jesus spoke and withered a fig tree. He cast or caused a drought of fish to be caught in a net. Uh, Jesus at the city of Nain raised a widow's son from the dead. He healed a woman who had an infirmity for 18 years. He healed a man who had dropsy. He healed ten men who were lepers. And he restored a severed ear to the servant of the high priest. These are just some of the great miracles that Christ did. Isn't that amazing? Just some of the evidence. And John said, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. So look at the evidence now here on the front that we've looked at. We brought six witnesses in front of us and had them testify about Christ. God and, and Christ and angels and righteous men, wicked men and devils. We talked about the authority by which he spoke. And notice that, that not even soldiers on one occasion could arrest him because of that great authority. And then we've noticed now the great miracles and signs that he did, given so abundantly in Scripture. As I told you at the beginning, God has piled evidence mountain high. If people would just look at Christ in the Scripture, you really can't help but believe in him. The evidence is just overwhelming. And uh, you just have to be completely dishonest to reject Christ and who He is. It's just, just an amazing amount of evidence. God wants everyone sufficiently convinced. And nobody will come before the Lord on Judgment Day and accuse God the Father of not giving them evidence about His Son because He's, he's just piled it abundantly in the Scriptures. It's just, just saturated with evidence of who He is. So there's no excuse for anyone, is there? And yet it shouldn't surprise us that there will be believers cast into hell because after all there's just abundant proof of it in the Bible. Jesus points out that the, uh, the devils even are believers. Look at James 19. James 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You see, even the devils believe in Him. They're lost. They're going to hell. And then the devil himself, Revelation 20 and 10, notice. Revelation 20 and 10, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil believes in Jesus. He's a believer, yet he's cast into hell. And then what about wicked angels? You know, Peter talks about the angels up in heaven that sinned. Now they had seen Christ, saw Him in all of His glory. They knew He was the Son of God. They not only believed, they had sight, not just faith. 
Yet the Bible says in 2 Peter 2 and 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, or, or Hades, Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. These angels then that sinned are going to wind up in the lake of fire. Yet they're believers. So you got devils, the devil himself, wicked angels, all of these headed to the lake of fire. It shouldn't surprise us then if there will be believers among mankind that will wind up in hell. And let's notice some varieties of those that will. First of all, there are people who believe in Jesus Christ, but they won't repent. They won't change their life. They're not going to come to the Lord. They're not going to reform their life because they don't want to live that kind of life. And I've talked to them, and likely some of you who try to reach people have also talked to folks like this. They don't want the gospel. They don't want the Word of God. They don't want to make a change because they enjoy the life that they're living. At least they think they do. They're like Felix in Acts 24, if you'll notice there, verse 24, 25. The Bible talks about Paul and, and his preaching to Felix and his wife Drusilla. After certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a more convenient season, I'll call for you. But Felix never did change so far as we have record. He trembled, but he didn't repent, see, because he loved his life. God gives motives to induce repentance even. He does several things to try to bring about repentance for folks. Number one, there's God's goodness. If you'll look with me there at Romans 2 and 4, Paul asks a question. He said, Despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So when you think about God's motives, we see God's goodness. God's good to people. Jesus said He's kind to the unthankful. He is, isn't He? The Bible says that He, he makes His sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God's just good to people, whether they're good to Him or not, whether they're thankful to Him, whether they're uh, willing to listen to Him or obey Him. He's still good to them. And this goodness is designed to wake man up and lead him to repentance. God was good to us. He sent Christ to Calvary, didn't He? When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's good to folks. And that's designed to touch our hearts and uh, get us to change our mind toward God and obey Him. God has another way that He tries to get us to repent, another motive. And of course, that's fear. There's nothing wrong with that motive of fear. God uses fear. In Luke 13 and 3, Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So there's that motive of fear, isn't it? And we see it by Paul in, in Acts 17 when he's preaching at Mars Hill to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Paul tells them, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men 
everywhere to repent because He hath appointed a day into which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained whereof He hath given assurance unto all men in that He hath raised Him from the dead. So there's your motive of goodness and fear. And these two things together then are designed to produce something else that leads to repentance. And that, friends, is godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, the Bible says that godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So the goodness of God, coupled with the fear that God gives of warning us about judgment, are both designed to produce a godly sorrow for sin that will actually work repentance. So he's put every motive that he can within the gospel that we preach. Told us of his goodness, given us warnings of his judgment. Designed both of them together to bring us to a godly sorrow that will work repentance. And yet there are still people who believe, but like Felix, they will not repent. Secondly, there are folks who believe in Christ, but they won't confess Him. They just will not confess. They remind us of the chief uh, uh, priest there in John 12, verse 42 and 43, chief rulers. The Bible said, nevertheless, also among the chief rulers, many believed in Him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him lest they be put out of the synagogues for the love of the praise of men more than the praise of God. Their people believe in Christ, but they won't confess Him. In other words, they wouldn't walk before an assembly like this one and stand in front of us this morning and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They won't make that confession like that. They just won't do it. And that's the way these chief uh, rulers were. But you see, if we're not willing to do that, He's not willing to confess us one day before God. In Matthew 10 and verse 32-33, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess Me before men, him will I confess also before My Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny Me before men, him will I also deny before My Father which is in heaven. So Christ said, If you won't confess Me, I'll deny you. If you will confess me, I'll confess you before my Father. I won't be ashamed of you if you're not of me. See, That's fair enough, isn't it? That's fair enough. I talked about the devils earlier and, and their testimony about Christ, but I want you to notice something very interesting to me. Mark 1, verse 23 to 25. It just jumps out at you. And uh, this is a uh, situation when Christ was in the synagogue. The Bible says there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, Let us alone. What are we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Are thou come to destroy us? I know who thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now this is a devil, folks, in a public assembly in a synagogue of the Jews. And Jesus comes in and it scares this devil to death. And he, he cries out, I know thee who thou art. You're the Holy One of God. Are you come here, Jesus, to destroy us? You can just see the fear in those devils. And notice he confessed him publicly. 
right there. And you know, that ought to really get man's attention when, when you've got devils that have confessed Christ and yet we've got people that won't. They're not even up to where the devils are. The devils confessed him, see. In fact, every one of us will one day. If you'll notice Romans, Romans 14, verse 10 and 11, Paul said, Why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, he tells us, of course. But then in Romans 14, 11, he says, As it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every knee will bow. Did you realize that the vilest sinner on earth, the greatest unbeliever you can imagine, serial killers, mass murderers, dictators, scoffers, atheists, whoever you can name here on earth, people in the past and history that have slaughtered people by the millions, one day they're going to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and confess that He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. And so why wouldn't we want to confess Him right now? Then it won't do any good. Won't do a bit of good for those people to confess, yet they'll be just like the devils. They'll be compelled to confess. Because they'll see Him in His glory and they'll be so awestruck and, and full of fear that they'll have to bow right there and make that confession. No matter who they are. Gangsters, murderers, drug dealers, psychopaths, anyone you can think of. They're all going to confess Jesus Christ. Every one of us will. And good that we do it while we can of our own free will, not when we're awestruck by His glory and filled with fear at the prospect of what's coming at that judgment that's upon us. We can believe, you see, but not confess. And then there are people who believe in Christ, but they refuse baptism. They will not be baptism. I've, I've got family members that way that won't be baptized. My father was that way. Dad just absolutely refused because the churches that he attended told him he didn't have to. And so that's what he did. And he heard me preach on it, and I talked to him about it a number of times. He just never would. It's sad. The chief priests and elders of the people, Matthew 21, were this way. The Bible says of Christ when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and rulers of the people, uh, Ask him, saying, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, which was it? From heaven or of men? Now these are men that wouldn't submit to John's baptism. They had rejected it, see. And now he's asking them, the baptism of John, fellas, was it from heaven or was it of men? They didn't want to answer that question. 
The Bible says, They reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, He will say unto us, Why did you not then believe Him? Or why, didn't you, why weren't you baptized? But if we shall say of men, We fear the people. For all hold John as a prophet. They said, We're afraid of this group of people out here. They believe John was a prophet, and we've rejected his message. We can't afford to say he's just of men. These folks here believe he's a prophet, a man of God. And if we say it's from heaven, well, we sure should have. So they looked at Christ and they said, We cannot tell. And Jesus said unto them, Neither tell I you, but what authority I do these things. They just wouldn't answer. They had rejected baptism, and that was what they were going to do. In Luke 7, 29 and 30. Luke 7, 29 and 30. Luke says all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God being not baptized of him. Even though Christ commands it, people are still that way today. In Mark 16, 15 and 16, Christ said in the Great Commission, He said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And yet preachers come along and say, You don't have to be baptized. Jesus said you do. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Man comes along and says, He that believeth and is not baptized shall be saved. Just the opposite of what Christ taught. So there are lots of believers that just simply will not be baptized. And we need to decide who we're going to believe, Christ or modern day preachers. So that's some of the people then that will be believers in hell. Believers that will not repent. Believers that will not confess Christ. Believers that will not be baptized. And finally there will be believers that actually became Christians but were not faithful. I wonder how many should be in these seats here this morning that have been disciples of Christ at one time. They won't be here today when we break bread, when we drink the fruit of the vine and remember the Lord's blood because evidently it doesn't mean enough to them. I'm just going to say it plainly. It doesn't mean enough to them. If it did, they'd be here. And so there'd just be a lot of people like that that believe. Look at Hebrews 10 with me and verse 24 through 31. Paul's writing here to believers. He said in 24, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, and that means to practice sin, to continue to practice. If we sin willfully after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversary. Now notice 28 and 9. He that despised Moses' law, died without mercy under two or three witnesses, of how much sorer punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace? For we know him that has said, 
vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He talks about how these folks were, they counted the blood of the covenant wherewith they were sanctified an unholy thing. So this blood that once sanctified them means nothing. You see, here's the, here's the blood. We will drink this fruit of the vine today and remember that blood. But there'll be a lot of people that have been sanctified by this blood that won't be here to remember. Because that blood doesn't mean to them what it should. And that's not the only way that, of course, we can fall away from the Lord, but that's just a good example. The blood of the covenant wherewith they were sanctified is unholy. Second Peter 2, verse 20, 22. Peter said, If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end shall be worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment given unto them, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her own wallowing in the mire. So these people, you see, at one time escaped the pollutions of the world, and now they've gotten entangled therein and overcome. And he said the latter end's worse than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known than to turn from it. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Christ taught we need to do the will of God. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These are believers that will be cast into hell. As we close our study today, I want to ask a question. Have you examined Jesus Christ, who He is? Have you really ever made that examination? We've just given a smattering of evidence here this morning of things we could have mentioned. But God has given lots of evidence. Do you need help examining that evidence? Do you need to study? We'd be happy to study with anyone today that might need to just study about Christ. Just study the Word. We'd be glad to set up a study a time at your convenience. And we can meet here or at a restaurant or in your home or anywhere you're comfortable and sit down in peace and quiet and very, very gently, just study the Word of God together. No pressure, just study the Word. And if you find that you need that in your life, let us know about that. If you're here today and you already believe in Christ, and you need to repent or to confess Him or to be baptized, you can take care of that at this assembly. If you'd like to do that, you could come and repenting of your sins, make your confession of Him. And we'll assist you in doing that. And if you'd like to go today and be baptized, we'll take you and baptize you for the remission of sins. And you can be on your way to everlasting life.
and we'll help you and we'll study with you. If you've once been a Christian and you, you just have need of prayer, if there's something that we can do to help you in some way, we'd be glad to do that as well. So we're not in a hurry, and if you need our Lord, why don't you come and just have a, a seat here in one of these chairs at the side over here and, and let us know your needs. And we'll rise and sing this song and give you that opportunity to come while we sing. Would you come? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.